You're listening to an episode of the Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life podcast with your host, Kim Olver. This is Kim, and welcome to the 113th episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. If you like today's episode, be sure to leave me a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag me at Olver International. Today, I'm so excited to continue our focus on education by talking with a fabulous teacher, Evan Lent. I met him during his Choice Theory certification a few weeks ago. Evan grew up in South Bend, Indiana. He studied computer science and did some work as a web developer. Currently, he lives in Shreveport, Louisiana, where he works at a small neighborhood Christian school and does mission work. Welcome, Evan, and thank you so much for joining us today to talk about your experiences serving underserved kids in the classroom. Hi, Kim. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Great. So I thought we could start with maybe you telling our audience about how you first came across choice theory. I first encountered choice theory when I was going to college, and some of the guys I lived with had read some books about choice theory. I started reading some of the books and I found it interesting, but there's kind of a turning point for me with one of my classes, actually. I was studying computer science and there was this computer architecture class sophomore year, and it was a tough class. I would go to the lecture, I'd pay attention, I'd take notes, I'd work hard on the homework, and then the homework would come back all red and marked up and wrong. <laughs> and this kept happening. I felt kind of trapped. And my friend and I, we started just complaining about the class. I remember one day after class, I just sat down on a bench outside the classroom and I'd been reading this choice theory stuff. I remember it asking, what do you want is important? I thought about that. You know, well, I could drop this class. I thought, well, gosh, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. I actually need this class to get a computer science degree. And I do want to do that. I want to pass the class. And I asked myself, well, okay, well, what grade do I want to get? And I hadn't thought about that, but I thought, yeah, no, I, I want to get an A in this class. Thinking that through, that was pretty helpful. And it kind of changed my whole attitude towards the class. I didn't feel trapped. And I started going to class because I thought it would help. The lectures continued not to help with the homework, but I started reading the book, sometimes just during class. And that helped a lot. I got the A, I got the degree. And I remember with that experience, I thought, oh, gosh, this stuff really helps. <laughs> <This works." laughs> so that was kind of my intro to using choice theory. That sounds pretty good. You used it on yourself first. That's what we often recommend. So terrific. Now, Evan, I know that what I really wanted you to talk about on this podcast is the story that you told in your certification week that was about a student that you named Vontrell. That's not his real name. You did talk about this student and your experience of how choice theory and lead management really helped you with him. And I was super impressed with the story and wanted to invite you on here so that you could tell the audience about that particular chain of events and what really made the difference. Do you think you could share with my audience what that was like for you, you and Vontrell? You years ago moved down to start helping at this school. My primary job here at the school is doing administrative work for the principal and taking care of our technology. But after I was here about a year, 
our principal asked if I would teach our oldest student on trail math. I didn't have any experience teaching, but I was excited for the opportunity. Von Trell was several years behind grade level, didn't like math, and I was told by several of his teachers that he had a hard time applying himself. The following semester, we started teaching him math. After a couple months of our math class, I found I was relieved on days Von Trell didn't come to school in time for math class. Oh, no. It looked to me like he was doing just about all he could to learn as little math as possible. And I found we were often having negotiations about how many, really how few problems he needed to do. I found myself saying things like, please lift up your head, please open your eyes so you can see what I'm teaching. And initially we covered some material, but progress slowed. And there was a point where he had failed three retests in a row over the same material. I knew things were not going well. So that was a tough first semester for both of us. <laughs> for me, And I'm pretty sure it was for him. The image that kept coming to mind was, I feel like I'm trying to drag a bag of cement. And the bag of cement is trying not to be dragged with every ounce of its weight. Over the summer, the president of the school had some meetings with me and another teacher, and we were reading through Activating the Desire to Learn. And as we were reading the book, I had some new thoughts. One new thought was Fontrell had a pretty high need for power and for freedom. There were some good moments. There was a time where we were doing a quiz on these geometric problems, and it was a little competitive, and he really lit up and liked the challenge. And it seemed like he has a pretty strong need for power and freedom, I thought, but I suspected he wasn't meeting those needs well in math class. And so I asked myself, well, how can I create an environment where he can better meet his needs? And I also thought a little more about what was my goal of math class? And when I was thinking about how to create an environment, I realized there had been a lot of ways I've been trying to control Fontrell without realizing it. But when things were rough, I was often thinking, not very consciously, how can I get him to do the work? But instead, thinking about what can I do to set up an environment where he can meet his needs? And so it wasn't about changing him, but it was about what I could do with him in mind. And when I thought about what the goal of math class was, it seemed like, well, I think the goal is him achieving mastery of this material, acquiring some of these skills and understanding for the math we were doing. This is seventh grade math. I'd been frustrated with how he'd been behaving, but I found that it was me changing that started improving things. And the first semester, I very much experienced an interpersonal struggle with Montrell me pulling, him resisting. But thinking about the goal being mastering the material added another element, which is, well, there's me, there's Vontrell, but there's also the material. What I'm trying to do is be his coach and help him conquer the material. I think he was responding to me trying to control him, but I think there was also, he was experiencing difficulty with the material and I was misinterpreting that as personal frustration with me some of the time. It was sort of like the mountaintop was where we were trying to get to. And my job was to try to help find a path up the mountaintop to get to mastering the material that would work 
for Vontrell, where he could meet his power and freedom needs. So I made some changes. We switched to online problem sets instead of worksheets. And I think the experience of immediately seeing his score increased as he got problems right gave him a helpful sense of power. And because the computer will tell you if you get something wrong, I was no longer his accuser who circled every wrong answer, but his coach helping him beat what the computer threw at him. Distinguishing the goal and the path to get there, I found that freed me up to incorporate more of his suggestions. We started reviewing the materials with quiz games that he would help make up. He suggested, well, if we do this with soccer, we found a way to do that. Throughout the next semester, there was just lots of opportunities to evaluate how things were going. We had a conversation about whether it was more helpful for me to give him homework online or on paper. And he explained that when he goes home, his little sister really admires her big brother who's doing homework, and she'll track down wherever he's got the homework and kind of destroy it. So we give him the online homework. I was surprised how much about the class was negotiable as we figured out a way to head towards mastery where he could meet his needs. That is so great. I remember you had a visual for us. I wonder if you could describe that. It was a mountain. Yeah, the visual was Mount Everest and the peak of the mountain, the mountaintop was the goal, which was mastery of the material. Turns out there are several different paths hikers use to get up Mount Everest. And it seemed like the different paths to me represented the different sort of methods you could take to get to that mastery. So that next semester, things were really different. I was working to create an environment where Montrell could meet his needs and not control him. And it didn't look like he had been reflecting on how math had been going and what he wanted to do differently. It sort of looked like he was starting the semester where we had ended the last. I suspect he was not looking forward to math class. But when we were done with that first quarter of that second semester, he had done 1,800 problems, 60 problems a day on average. One time, his mom shared with me a story about how he'd gotten frustrated with his math homework. He'd gone to bed, but then he got up at 2 a.m. and worked until he finished the assignment. And it was not unusual for him to say things like, I get it now, or I'm going to get them all right. There was a test that first quarter where he got 100% on the test on the first try. Since then, he's gone on. He's graduated from our school. He's gone on to high school. He and I met recently. He said math is actually the subject he's enjoying most right now. What a gift you gave him and what a gift he discovered in himself. I'm imagining that we know from knowing choice theory that everybody has those five basic needs. And it seems like Montrell has a very strong need for power. And if he can't get that need met by excelling in school, he'll get that need met by pushing back against teachers who are trying to make him excel in school. So you discovered really the secret sauce, stop trying to control him and give him the tools he needs to be able to understand the math so that his power need would push him towards competence on his own without you having to push. I just love, love, love that story. And knowing that it's true and knowing that this boy actually exists somewhere, it just warms my heart to know that a child that you were working with, I don't know if you know, Evan, this child could have taken a whole nother pathway in life 
fighting against establishment and fighting against rules, but because you were willing to be flexible and work with him and look at what his needs actually were, you allowed him to excel in a way that has him just loving math. There's no telling what he's going to be. I just think that's an amazing, amazing story. So when he left your school, was that in eighth grade? He finished eighth, eighth grade. So when he left, was he on grade level? No, he was not. Was he close? I mean, he was several years behind, I think, when you started. Where was he when he left? Well, let's see. I'm just talking about in math. Reading and writing, I think he was at an 11th grade level. And that's because of the work of our principal who teaches the reading, writing curriculum. He was a lot closer to grade level, and he went to a private high school here in town, and he qualified for entrance there. Wow. That's just wonderful. And I hope the teachers that are listening can see the difference. I know many teachers do phenomenal work. I know that. I've seen it. And I also know the kids that can push teachers' buttons and create frustration. And I'm guessing, Evan, that you might have had a little frustration that first semester. I don't know. (laughs) You're nodding your head. I don't think anybody can see that. But I think that that's true. You and Von Trell both had a lot of frustration. So sometimes the answer when feeling frustration is rather than pouring it out on the kid or even the system is to take some quiet reflection time and see how much of that could be within your power and control to make a slight adjustment, maybe a major adjustment, and be able to reap some benefits from that. And I just find that when I get frustrated, I know to look in the mirror and to see what is it that I am doing that's adding to this frustration and what can I do to try to lessen the frustration. And almost always, it's doing something different myself. That's the part I have control over. I have no control over anyone else in my life, only me. Trying to change other people does not lead to success. Changing me is the thing that I'm capable of doing. And sometimes that takes a great deal of effort because people don't like to change themselves. It's hard work. But if you want to have the benefit, that's the place where the focus needs to be. It was moving to me to see Vontrell have a desire to learn math. In choice theory, we talk about people being internally controlled, and I was seeing that. I'd had some experience using choice theory in my personal life, but it was eye-opening to me to see working with Vontrell, and the model very much wasn't me trying to inspire him to do math. I was setting up the environment, and then here's this student who hasn't liked math for some years, and suddenly he's got this engine in him to be working at this, and he's enjoying it, and he wants some more. Not every day was like that, but I was not the engine. The engine was in him. I was trying to help facilitate that. It was quite something to see. That's great. Have there been any other areas of your life where you found choice theory helpful? Mostly, I find myself reaching for tools associated with choice theory when I'm feeling frustrated. There have been some times where I've found opportunities to share some of that with other people. For a few years, I worked as a nurse's aide in a hospital on a floor where we had patients who just had surgery or just about to have surgery. And it's a really tough time for anyone being around surgery. There was one patient, he had had surgery, he was getting ready to head home, 
his ride lived far away. The doctor said he could go. He called his significant other. He took off work to pick him up. But then the doctor said, actually, we need you to stay. He was pretty upset at that. And he'd been swearing at different nurses. He'd been behaving that way for most of his stay. And so the nurse asked if I could talk with him. And I may have just gone in to visit with him. And we talked a little bit about how if I wanted him to stop swearing at the nurses, if I came in here and tried yelling at him for doing that, would that help? And he said, no, I'd probably do it more. <laughs> and I talked about how, in my experience, I have pretty much zero control over what comes out of other people's mouths. And he said, that's, that's right. I've got less than zero control over what comes out of the doctor's mouth. We talked for a bit, and that seemed to help. Talked it through, and he stopped swearing. <laughs> that's pretty terrific. And I know myself, because I have a high freedom need. And you may not know this, Evan, but if somebody tells me to do something, I'm known for doing the exact opposite, even if what I was being told to do would have been the best choice for me, because that's how much some people, especially freedom people, don't like to be told what to do. It truly is a skill that can be learned to be able to consider what the needs of the other person might be. And to align your intervention with what's important to that person. It's why some parents, you'll hear them say, gosh, I had three kids and every single one of them was different. What worked with one kid didn't work with the other. Well, that makes a lot of sense to people who understand choice theory, because one kid might have been a high love and belonging kid and another child might have been a high power kid and the other one might have been a fun kid. And with all of those needs you're going to act differently as a parent if you want to see results because you need to help that child get the need met that they're trying to meet. And it's the same thing in a classroom, only you have a lot more than three kids, which is why it can be challenging for teachers. So the idea in a classroom is not to try to meet everybody's individual needs unless you're working one-on-one -on -one with a student. But it's to try to set up a classroom where all five of the basic needs can be met by everybody in that room. Rather than me going through those five basic needs, Evan, you want to tell them what they are? The choice theory, five basic needs? Survival, there's love and belonging, there's power, there's freedom, and there's fun. That's right. At any given moment... Whatever quote I put in quotes, uh, parenthetical, you know, air quotes, misbehavior that you're seeing, it's really not technically correct to label it misbehavior because it's just behavior they're using to be able to meet the need that is pushing them at that point in time. So people don't misbehave if they have a better way to behave that will meet that need equally or even better. And I think that's what you provided, Bontrell, was another way for him to get that power need met other than frustrating over math. I really, really appreciate that story. And the same thing with the cursing man in the surgical unit of the hospital. Evan, how could people reach you if they have any further questions or would like to talk to you more about what you've talked about today? They can reach me at my email, elent17 at gmail.com. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me and our audience today, Evan. I'm so happy to share your story with them. Thanks so much. Thank you. My pleasure, Evan.
I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and remember to leave a review and share with your connections on social media. I also hope you'll join me next week when I'll be changing topics to mental freedom and speaking with Sylvester Baugh about his transplant experience. I'm looking forward to it. Talk with you then. This has been another thought-provoking episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. To listen to past episodes, please visit our website at lifeequalschoices.com or listen wherever you download your podcast. And don't forget, remember to subscribe.